Hello, people. <laughs> you saw it had the title of. And I'm Randall K. Harp tonight. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Here we go. From the dead. Hey, we're going to celebrate the resurrection, okay? Kind of a little bit early. Just as he said, quickly now. So this is uh, Keith Green from a hundred years ago, almost. Keith Green, there you go. If you're as old as me, <laughs> which is not that old, but if you are, then you know who he is. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> so tonight what we're going to do, everybody, is we are going to look at the evidence for the resurrection of Yeshua of Nazareth. Yeah, we are. Um, I have to tell you, this is one of my all-time favorite topics in the whole entire world because Many years ago, when I was first born again, I have an antagonistic older brother who was like, you know what, you're just believing a fairy tale, blah, blah, blah. So you need to prove to me that this is, this is legit or whatever. Well, it turns out that my very first guest on Bible News Radio way back in 2005 or so was who is now Dr. Frank Turek who wrote a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, okay? So, very first book, uh, very first guest was a Christian apologist who wrote a book about not having enough faith to be an atheist. Well, what's that about? Well, I mean, it's about the evidence of, you know, Christianity in general, but if you cannot prove the resurrection or you cannot support your beliefs about the resurrection of Christ, if you can deny or disprove the resurrection of Jesus, then anything that I believe as a Christian is out the window. Because without the resurrection, we have no faith. And 
So, I, I mean, I could talk about this topic for, for like, like forever. <laughs> because anybody who is honest, who is a sincerely honest seeker of truth, and who honestly looks at the evidence that Jesus left behind for us to look at, either flat out has to deny it or accept it. And every Christian apologist that I know of that has come to faith in Christ and was a skeptic beforehand truly laid out the evidence. And in, in our day, we have many. We have, you know, the famous C.S. Lewis, you know, Clive Staples Lewis, who, who um, wrote Mere Christianity, which is a defense of what you know his discovery and we have lee strobel who was a journalist in the chicago area who tried to disprove the resurrection and ended up writing a whole bunch of books called the case for christ the case for faith the case for heaven the case for this the case for that uh we have people like josh mcdowell who wrote who wrote probably the biggest tome on this subject called evidence that demands a verdict which where he lays out i mean he was a skeptic and he lays out, he went on a big, massive search to overturn Christianity and try to figure out, like, is this really true? <laughs> and if you've never looked at his work, contrary to what, you know, some other people might think about Josh McDowell, what I can tell you is, if you don't have that book, get it. And, and they have actually an updated version, which one of the things in that book that talks about is it just talks about the mere manuscript evidence that's out there that has exploded in, especially in recent years. And we just, you know, heard a couple of weeks back that there's even been new discoveries of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we even have more manuscript evidence about that. So Josh McDowell, you know, he, he's another one. Um, um, Gary Habermas wrote a wonderful book called The Historical Jesus. And what I love about that book is that what Gary did was he literally went to the extra biblical sources for scripture, and he took from those extra biblical sources like Tacitus, Suetonius, Josephus, and others, and he took the evidence from these historians he laid it out in this book um, for the very proof, the mere proof that Yeshua existed himself, right? There, there are people, believe it or not, and I don't know how they do this, but there are honestly people that, that deny that Jesus of Nazareth actually even existed. And so the work of Gary Habermas, you can look at him, you know, you can look at his work, you can go to his work and you can go, Okay, well, how do you explain Josephus, just as an example? Josephus was a Jewish historian who documented the life of Christ uh, and talked about who he was. Um, so there is, there are mountains and mountains and mountains and mountains and mountains of evidence out there for the honest seeker. And, you know, something I learned years ago you know, it is, you know, even in the book of Isaiah, the Lord says, come, let us reason together. You know, God created us humans 
to reason, right? He didn't, you know, people who say, well, your faith is just a crutch. Yeah, it is. You guys are just believers in fake stuff, fairy tales, blah, blah. And, you know, your faith is just a crutch. Well, I have a couple answers to that. Number one, oh, well, okay. So if my faith is a crutch, it's a pretty darn strong one. And, you know, that's awesome. But really, God gave us humans what makes us different what makes human beings different from pretty much every other creation out there, aside from the fact that we were created in God's image, is that God gave us the ability to reason. And, you know, you could put evidence here, and you could put evidence here. And, you know, one of the very first things I learned in child development, I have a, see, I have an undergraduate degree in, in human development with a little minor em emphasis in child development development. And we were all children once, right? So if you were to take, let's just say, I'll use a visual example here. If you were to take this glass and fill it up with 10 ounces of water, it would be filled with 10 ounces of water, right? And if you were to take this bottle and fill this up with the exact same amount of water, 10 ounces of water, and you showed it to a child, what would the child say? Well, most children at a certain developmental stage in life would say that this bottle has more water, even though they both have the same amount, because God gave them the ability to reason, right? So God gives us the ability to reason. We have a very, very, very extremely reasonable faith. So our faith isn't based on feelings, which a lot of people's belief systems are. <laughs> I could do a whole year on that. Um, the Christian faith is based on mountains of evidence and undeniable historical proof. The very fact that the Christian church is here is actually evidence of the resurrection. You know, some of the biggest arguments against the resurrection. In fact, one of my favorite ones, um, one of the, one of the one of the critics that comes out and says, "Oh, well, you know, the disciples they stole the body." <laughs> you know that example is actually used in the Word of God. <laughs> it's like that was one of the things. Oh, they stole the body. Well, don't you think by now they would have found the body if it was actually stolen? Do you think, honestly, that the early church disciples, do you think that these guys would have willingly been, you know, tortured and put to death if what they really believed was a lie? You know, on the one hand, if you want to do comparative religion, like we want to look at Islam as an example. Islam, if you are a true Muslim, right? And you truly carry out, carry out Sharia, right? You, you believe in that. You, you believe your job is to die for Allah, that you have to blow yourself up with the hopes, just the hopes, not a guarantee that you're going to get into paradise and have some virgins there waiting for you um, to prove your devotion to Allah, who does not love you. But just as a sake of argument, that this is part of your proof that, you know, he would die, the, the Muslim would die for that. Then I guess you could argue that that some people die for something that they believe in, even though there's no legit proof of it. For the early church, however, there was so much proof, so much proof, which is why I love this topic, because the honest seeker, when you seek him, 
you will find him if you seek for him with your whole heart. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to begin. All right, we're going to go ahead and we're going to look at the New American Standard Version 1995. And we're going to look at chapter 15. This is a lengthy chapter, but I'm going to read it because I love reading this chapter. It's one of my favorite. Um, And I think Paul, who, by the way, Saul of Tarsus, his former name, uh, wrote this. And so the number one Jewish apologist, in my opinion, in the world is Saul of Tarsus, who God renamed Paul um, after his resurrection, after, you know, his conversion on his way to Damascus. So here we go. I'm going to, I don't know if Randall's, you're putting it up, right? I, was gonna, I don't know how to get to it anymore. You don't know how to get to 1 Corinthians 15? Well, the the 95 edition on Bible Hub it used to be... Oh. It was clearly laid out, and now you got to go through some hoops to... Really? Yeah. Well, I'm on Blue Letter Bible, so that, right. that's where I found it. Okay. Well, anyway, let's read it. Let's pray fast. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. Father, I just thank you for your word. You are so cool, Lord. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I I just uh, ask, Lord, that as I read your word right now, that you would use your word to open up lives, hearts, minds, that they would, that like whoever's watching or, or listening to this, that they would, would be able to see you in a brand new, fresh way, that the word of God that is living, which is you, uh, that you would just breathe life into this that people would even doubters who don't think this is real that they would they would go oh my gosh i believe like thomas did um lord i love you and i thank you for this word in jesus name amen okay here we go so now i make known to you brethren the gospel which i preach to you which also you received in which also you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that or what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, in case you don't know, okay, then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Let's, let's just think about this just for a minute, okay? This is the first nine verses, and here we we have... Paul laying out the appearances of Jesus after he rose from the dead. And in verse 9, it's, this is so key. Don't miss this, okay? Paul here says that I'm the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So this is, this is somebody who was converted by the evidence, Okay, this was, and, and he has written, God inspired him to write most of the New Testament. When you consider that, okay, so that would be akin to, let's say, a top Muslim terrorist today coming to Christ, 
after killing lots of Christians, okay? I mean, that's basically what Paul was. He was a terrorist. He terrorized the church. He scared the church. He killed the church, right? So, then verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? By the way, that was the Sadducees. They did. They were Sadducees because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Um, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is, is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If in fact the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Yeah, we are. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. By the way, this is, this is allusion also to the Jewish festivals. The first, you know, the, the, and that's a show probably for another day. But anyway, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power and all power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. By the way, we should also say that remember Yeshua raised Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus, when he was raised from the dead, right after he was raised from the jet dead, many, many believed, right? But the religious leaders of that day, they were so spiritually blinded, they hated Yeshua and they hated Lazarus because Lazarus was evidence that, you know, of what, what Yeshua did. Um, and so they, they tried to kill Lazarus again. Uh, they, they had this plot to kill him as well as Jesus. But anyway, verse 27, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the, for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we so... Why, why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. 
if from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you are and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body, which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But, but God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. By the way, you can go back to Genesis and actually read that as well. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly is another. And by the way, you can also go back to Genesis and read that as well. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. Can I get an amen for that, man? That, that, I am so looking forward to this part. <laughs> it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Yeah, we will. Can't wait for that. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the 
lord. Best chapter in the whole Bible, in my opinion. <laughs> I love this chapter. It's, 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 it's awesome. Now, when you break this chapter up, it's even like you go, ah, oh, there's even, there's even so much more in the scripture and the word of God. Um, and I don't know about you, but, but, you know, I, I love, I love Resurrection Sunday. I love the song. I have like two of my favorite songs are Because He Lives, you know, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. Because I Know He Holds the Future. My, all life is, life is worth the living just because He Lives. And of course, one of my other favorites is Up From the Grave He Arose. Yeah, he's a mighty victor over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and, and you know, forever, forever with his saints we will reign or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, I just, I love the music of resurrection because there, there's, it's just so great, you know? Um, what we believe, there's so much evidence for it that it's really hard to shut me up about it, just so you know. Okay, so. Um, but here's here's the thing. We looked at 1 Corinthians 15, and as I like to do on this show, I like to look at some of the news that comes out around Easter because the media loves to attack Christ, right? They they love to make Jesus like the butt of all jokes, you know, on the front of magazines. Uh, you know, they, they always do stuff like that. And I didn't even bother looking at these magazines to see what they did this year. But what I will say is, is it's interesting, some of the stories I read having to do with the resurrection. And I'm not going to read all of these. I just want to give you some headlines um, because I know Randall wants to share some stuff. And then we want to throw out a couple of things that you can use to share with your friends uh, to get you excited about the resurrection. Okay, so like here's an article over on the Salt Lake Tribune. Titled, Women Were the First to Witness Christ's Resurrection, Why That Still Matters to Utah's Female Faith Leaders. Uh, I'm not going to read this article. I'm going to tell you I already read it. And I, it caught my attention, obviously, because I'm a woman. And yes, it is true that women were the first to witness Christ's resurrection. But nowhere in this article does it actually explain why. And... <laughs> You know, in some ways, this is a a feminist article arguing on some level for um, women to be senior pastors, which is completely unbiblical, in my opinion, and based on what I've read in the scripture. But I, I but one thing that they didn't say in this article um, was they didn't mention the Jewish um, understanding. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you from a apologetics book here that I got. And I'm going to read you. I'll just read this to you. And then I'll tell you where this is from if you want to go get it. Okay. And I love, I, I'm, I'm slightly humored by the fact that they, they wrote this. The tomb was probably dis discovered empty by women. <laughs> the word probably cracks me up. There's no doubt it wasn't probably, it actually was. But anyway, listen to this. It says here, in order to grasp this point, two things need to be understood about the place of women in Jewish society. First, 
Women were not regarded as credible witnesses. This attitude towards the testimony of women is evident in the Jewish historian Josephus's description of the rules for admissible testimony. Let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. Antiquities chapter 4.8.15 No such regulation is to be found in the Bible. It is rather a reflection of the patriarchal society of first century Judaism. Second, women occupied a long rung on the Jewish social ladder. Compared to men, women were second-class citizens. Consider these rabbinical texts sooner. Let the words of the law be burnt than delivered to women. That's Sota 19a. And again, happy is he whose children are male, but unhappy is he whose children are female. That's from the Kedushin 82b. And then this here, I... <laughs> Some, I can totally understand why some people want to slap Jewish people. But anyway, I, I am part Jewish, so. But it says here, the daily prayer of every Jewish man, including the blessing. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's in Berichos 60B. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But anyway, but it says here, so given their low social status and inability to serve as legal witnesses, it's quite amazing that women are the discoverers of and principal witnesses to the empty tomb. If the empty tomb story were a legend, then the male disciples would have been made to be the ones who discovered the empty tomb. The fact that women whose testimony was deemed worthless were the chief witnesses to the fact of the empty tomb can only be plausibly explained if, like it or not, they actually were the discoverers of the empty tomb and the Gospels faithfully recorded what for them was a very embarrassing fact. So, because, and here's the other thing too. I, got, I just got to throw this in here. So basically, in the Jewish society of that day, the, the, the voice, women's testimonies were considered invalid, right? In, the, in, the, in their court. So because of that, the very fact that we have this recorded in the Holy Bible, the best-selling book of all time, uh, if it was a lie, then that wouldn't be in there, would it? No, it wouldn't. But here's the other thing I love. If you look at John chapter 4, I, th I believe it is, when Yeshua talked to the woman at the well, who remains nameless, we don't know who she was, kind of wish I did, because I'd like to talk to her. He was, <laughs> he, he, he revealed himself as the Messiah to her. Uh, one of the very first things that Jesus did was he elevated women. And, you know, I hear this baloney, I guess that's a good word, that, well, Jesus, all he does is oppress women. You hear this from feminists, right? It drives me crazy. Well, Jesus, you know, basically he preaches that women should be barefoot and pregnant and stay at home and be mothers only and, you know, submit to their, their husbands and, you know, be under their thumb and all this other stuff. Well, I'm sorry, but if you read the word of God and you know who Jesus is, he uplifted and elevated women. He, he loved women. You know, remember, he, not only he revealed himself as the Messiah to a woman first, he re revealed himself, the resurrection was revealed to women. 
but he also was the one who could have picked up a stone and threw it at the woman caught in the very act of adultery if he wanted to, but he didn't. And just for fun, if you look at the genealogy of Christ and you look at the women who are in scripture, like Rahab and others, if women were so horrible and awful and Jesus oppressed women, then certainly these women would not have been listed. And if women were so awful, why would the God of the universe who decided to come down and and become human flesh allow himself to come through the very birth canal of a physical human woman named Mary? He wouldn't. He wouldn't. Jesus loves women. Jesus elevates women. Jesus gives women more freedom than any other religious figure in the history of the world. If, In fact, if you look at Islam, just as an example, by comparison, Islam will oppress a woman, rape a woman, beat the crap out of a woman, and all the things that Christians are accused of, they actually do. And it's like, oh my gosh, people, do you not see... <laughs> Completely the opposite is what Jesus did. Uh, Jesus loved women so much. In fact, his mother on the cross, he said, hey, to, to John, he's like, here's your mother. Take care of her. If he hated women, why would he even do that? He wouldn't. Jesus loves women and um, he elevates women. But we need to understand, and I'm saying this as a woman, that there is an order uh, in scripture for the role of women and men. And when it comes to lead pastor of a church, a woman does not ever fill that place in scripture. Um, a woman is not the husband of one wife, number one. Just by virtue of that verse, you can't fill that, okay? So you can hate me for that if you're, if you're more liberal on that. But I'm just telling you what God's word says. I'm, I'm sure Randall wants to say something. Way in, bare, bare face. Because I, I could go on, but I Are thought you I, sure? I thought I should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Are you sure that I have something to say? Yeah, of course. You were reading and studying just as like I was. Well, I mean, you pretty much covered that that point. Yeah, I did. Because yeah, I'm did. a woman. Hear me roar. <laughs> I did. By the way, hi to everybody, whoever's out there. I, I can't really see anybody, but, um, you know, thank you for sharing. And, and by the way, I should tell you, Bible News Radio is a... Um, uh, 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 production, I'm thinking of the right word, of Heart Tug International. We're a nonprofit organization. If you want to help us out with an Easter gift or any other type of financial gift during this time of the year, it'd be awesome. You can go over to BibleNewsRadio.com forward slash give and just give to your little heart's content. Uh, we promise to use the money wisely to promote and further the true gospel of Jesus because that's what we do. All right, Bareface, back to you. And I think he's he's waiting to come. There he is. He's there. There. There he is. Right there. Yeah, I believe that you cited. Uh, you know, there are several sources, but um, let's see. And hi to Barb and Jerry. I see Barb and Jerry over there. Hey, do me a favor. Like the video. That helps us in YouTube. Okay, if you're over there on YouTube. Um, maybe not. Um, I don't know why uh, Dr. Fruchtenbaum's abbreviations here. I'm not that familiar with rabbinic literature. Oh. 
but he includes quotes like Rav Yaakov Bar Zabedi, Rav Abahu in the name of Rav Yochanan, uh, a woman is permitted to testify, I have given birth or I have not given birth, but she is not permitted to testify, it is masculine or it is feminine. So, and you know, rabbinic, rabbinic teachings, a woman could testify whether or not she given birth, but not to the gender of the child. Really? Yeah, but not let the but let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. Hmm. Yeah, all right. Thank you for liking the show over there on YouTube. I mean, even, even today, young children are taught these prayers that boys are to pray. You know that. Thank you for not making me a woman. Right. And girls, of course, thank you for assigning me the. You know, position I have, or something like that. Mm. So, did you want to you want to bring up any other objections about the resurrection, or should we just look at um, well some stuff? What do you think? Sure. I mean, there's uh, there are you know the basic objections uh, to it. The whole thing it's a lie, it's a conspiracy, but it's a pretty darn good one. If it uh, is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, um, it's like, well, as you mentioned, why did the witnesses, I was going to say, except for one, one died a natural death, but according to church history, they tried to kill him a few times. Yeah. But he was miraculously preserved. You know, you think, well... That was John, in case any of you are wondering who that was. Well, anybody would talk about, well, you know, these conspiracies, whatever, people would rather go to their death. You know, we've got Susan McDougall, rather go to jail than testify in court. Right. Uh, you know, there could be some, but who would be threatening them? Oh, don't let this out, or will? I mean, it was way before the Vatican, or there, way before there was a Holy Roman Empire or anything like that. I mean, hundreds of years before. So it was in their best interest. It was alive for their self-preservation. Self-preservation. It wouldn't be anybody who's threatening their families if they let this lie out. That issue was not raised from the dead there was just no there was really it's, I'm hard pressed to come up with an explanation why they would die terrible martyrs deaths for some conspiracy some lie and then of course you know the the, the stolen body right. if, right if there it, in the scripture that was an excuse given then right and if I mean, at the time of Yeshua's birth, we have Herod's soldiers going out, and any male two years old or under being slain, okay? Um, uh, other examples of Herod the Greater killing off his family when <laughs> he thought they were contenders to the throne and others like that. Um, you don't think if someone in... Jerusalem and hidden a body that someone would have the wherewithal to go find that body especially if they could be easily bought with money right right I mean we know Judas died because he committed suicide um, but yeah well if, if, it, if, if a body could be found it would be the interest of the same religious leaders that wanted him dead. Right. Um, because they fear that the that 
the Roman government would take away their place in the nation. Uh, quoting from the New Testament, yeah, that was the thing that um, the the Jewish people, especially the leadership, Sanhedrin, uh, had special favor with the Roman government. Whereas a lot of places, the Roman government was the complete government overseeing all aspects of civil life. In some Roman provinces, like Judea, um, and not all the, yeah, not all the Holy Land, with the Tetrarchs and all that, and Herod, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the, the Sanhedrin was given a special sort of favor that they could um, judge over, rule over certain civil aspects. Mm-hmm. And so they had, and they had that position with the Romans, and they also had the esteem of their countrymen because of their position. Anyway, so they were afraid that um, you know some revolt should come along because people found Jesus and he raised Lazarus from the dead, et cetera, et cetera, that the Romans would come and take away their place and their nation uh, because there were some things. Well, yeah, you could. We can get into the the Roman historians and all that, but we won't. Uh, there was good reason for the enemies of the gospel to produce a body, and if they could, they would have, right. no doubt. Can can I address one other thing about the body? Sure. So, actually, this week, this is an interesting conversation I had in my God Time Together group. Um, uh, one of my friends, and if you're watching, I, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, disparaging you in any way, but one of my friends in, in the group... Um, was was like the resurrection, like Jesus didn't have a physical body, he had a spiritual body. And that's not necessarily true, right? So, um, and I want to read you from, um, from this apologetics paper, which I'll tell you about, I'm, I'll tell you about where you can get it if you'd like. It's a great paper. Um, but here's one of the points. It says the resurrection appearances were physical, bodily appearances. Here And here is, um, it doesn't address certain things I'm going to say, but I will just, I just want to read this because they make some really interesting distinctions here that I didn't even think of until recently. Okay. So it says here, so far the evidence we've examined doesn't depend on the nature of the post-mortem appearances of Jesus, which by the way, one of the other uh, attacks that you'll often hear is, oh, these people, you know, that group of 500 had a mass hallucination and they all imagined this, re- this appearance of Christ, right? Well, just so you know, that would be super All hard. different details. Right. And that would be really hard because even as a therapist, it would be super hard to for a whole group of people to have a mass solution. <laughs> it would, it's never been documented, you know, in the world of psychology. But anyway, listen to this. He wrote, uh, I've, I've left it open whether they were visionary or physical in nature. It remains to be seen whether visionary experiences of the risen Jesus can be plausibly explained on purely psychological grounds. But if the appearances were physical and bodily in nature, then a pure psychological explanation becomes next to impossible. So it's worth examining what we can know about the nature of these appearances. Paul implies that the appearances were physical. He, he does this in two ways. First, he conceives 
of the resurrection body as physical. Everyone recognizes that Paul does not teach the immortality of the soul alone, but the resurrection of the body. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44, we already read that. Paul describes the differences between the present earthly body and our future resurrection body, which will be like Christ. He draws four essential contrasts between the earthly body and the resurrection body, and, and I will tell you what they are. So the earthly body is mortal, dishonorable, weak, and natural. Can we get an amen? Because we know this is true. (laughs) The resurrection body is immortal, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. Here's the thing. Only the last contrast could possibly make us think that Paul did not believe in a physical resurrection body, but what does he mean by the words translated here as natural slash spiritual? The word translated natural literally means soulish. Now, obviously, Paul doesn't mean that our present body is made out of soul. Rather, by this word, he means dominated by or pertaining to human nature. Similarly, when he says the resurrection body will be spiritual, he doesn't mean made out of spirit. Rather, he means dominated by or oriented toward the spirit. That's capital S. It's the same sense of the word spiritual as when we say that someone is a spiritual person. Look at how Paul uses the same words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He writes, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Natural man does not mean physical, visible man, but man-oriented toward human nature. And spiritual man does not mean intangible, invisible man. That's very important. But man-oriented toward the spirit. The contrast is the same in 1 Corinthians 15. The present earthly body will be freed from its slavery to the mortal nature and become instead fully empowered and directed by God's spirit. Thus, Paul's doctrine of the resurrection body implies a physical resurrection. Second, Paul, and indeed all the New Testament, makes a distinction between an appearance of Jesus and a vision of Jesus. The appearances of Jesus soon ceased, but visions of Jesus continued in the early church. Now the question is, what is the difference between an appearance and a vision? The New Testament seems to be clear. A vision, though caused by God, was purely in the mind, right? While an appearance took place out there in the external world. Compare Stephen's vision of Jesus in Acts chapter 7 with the resurrection appearances of Jesus. So, though Stephen saw an identifiable bodily image, what he saw was a vision of a man, not a man who was physically there, for no one else present experienced anything at all. By contrast, the resurrection appearances took place in the world out there and could be experienced by anybody present. Paul could rightly regard this his experience on the Damascus Road as an appearance, even though it took place after Jesus' ascension, because it involved manifestations in the external world, like the light and the voice, which Paul's companions also experienced to varying degrees. Thus, the distinction between a vision and an appearance of Jesus also implies that the resurrection appearances were physical. Also, the gospel accounts show that the appearance were physically, were physical and bodily, and... Um, 
you know, and all that. And, and, and so we know, we know, and this is what I shared with my friend, we know that Jesus appeared physically, but his body being a, a, a resurrection body, he was able to go through walls, right? And, and he was able to surprise people and go, oh, surprise, here I am. You know, he, I mean, he walked, <laughs> yeah, I, that would freak me out, just saying. But I mean, the whole thing would freak me out, just to be honest with you. It kind of does, if I think about it. Um, but one of the one of the best proofs that Jesus rose physically from the dead is that he ate. He ate fish, right? I mean, he had breakfast, or dinner, I guess it was breakfast, you know, with Peter and those guys. And that's when he sat down and he said to Peter, do you love me? You know, do you, do you agape me? And Peter's like, uh, Lord, you know, I phileo you. <laughs> and then Jesus said, do you phileo me? <laughs> you know, anyway, they had this, this conversation. And many believe that that conversation that Jesus had with Peter was basically him giving Peter the opportunity to take back his three denials, right? Um, so if he wasn't physical, Christ could not have eaten food, right? So there you go. That's that's my thought on that. I don't know, Bareface, if you want to add something to that. All of, a sudden, all of a sudden, I totally got hungry. Uh, it's, it's been a while since I've eaten. I am hungry now, people. <laughs> But anyway. About a physical resurrection versus a spiritual, spiritual meaning like disembodied spirit kind of thing? Well, versus, you know, a physical body versus, you know, a spirit. Um, well, many Jewish people believe that he was a spirit, but not actually a, he, that he didn't actually have a physical body. But Jesus well, did not, have a physical body after the resurrection. It's not thing for him to say then, spirits don't have flesh and bone as you see I have. That is actually the verse that I shared with my friend. Yeah. And, and and let me ask you something because um because the context of that um I suggested and I think I incorrectly suggested it based on that passage. Um I I said and I think it was wrong that the resurrection bodies that we're going to have aren't going to have blood based on that. But but clearly the word of God says it's in, the life is in the blood. But in that context, when I actually looked it up in my group, they pointed out, well, it doesn't actually say that, Stacy. But spirits do not have flesh and bone. Yes, that that is something that he said. And we know we also know Thomas. When Yeshua appeared to the disciples first, Thomas wasn't there. Afterwards, they were talking to Thomas. Thomas basically told the other guys, well, I ain't going to believe it unless I am able to put my hand in his side and look at his, you know, scars in his hands. And next thing you know, Yeshua is popping into a meeting that Thomas is there. And he says, behold, my hand in my side or whatever. And and Thomas, who, who gets a bad rap, okay, let's just say it. Uh -huh. Thomas... It's a bad rap because everybody says Thomas was, quote, doubting Thomas. Well, actually, if you read the word of God close, the others also doubted. It's just that Thomas gets, you know, he gets the moniker doubting Thomas because of what he said. Thomas was actually an honest seeker, right? He wanted evidence, right? As Josh McDowell would say, evidence that demands a verdict. When, when Yeshua showed Thomas the evidence he was looking for, 
Thomas responded with a confession of faith. My Lord and my God was his response, basically admitting he was the Messiah and he obviously believed in Christ as the resurrected Messiah. Now, here's the other thing about Thomas. When Yeshua responded to him, he said, I believe that was where he said, flesh and flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. No. No? No. Okay, never mind. He didn't say that. Didn't he say, blessed are you who believe and yet don't see? Maybe that's Yeah. Bless. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Yeah. Okay. So, what would you find on the flesh and bone thing? Well, I'm just gonna just read the passage from Luke chapter 24. Okay. In verse 36, now as they said these things, and they would be the disciples on the road to Emmaus, who (laughs) returned on the same road, come back to Jerusalem, report their encounter with the risen Lord. Now, as they said these things, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, "Peace be to you." Uh, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen his spirit. But he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Right. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they... But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took and ate in their presence. Honeycomb? Mm-hmm. Wow, he had honeycomb. That's cool. Not the not the box cereal. Not the box cereal? Ugh. Just kidding. Uh. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect that, you know, just so you know. But, you know, a obviously physical body had flesh and bone. Uh, He could eat. But this was the same Jesus who had broken bread with two disciples uh, in Emmaus. I guess they actually got there. Doesn't specifically say. They got there, and when he broke bread, he disappeared from their sight. Right. They run back, and uh, while they're reporting what happens, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. It doesn't say that he walked in. It doesn't say that he knocked at the door right. or climbed to the window. He, he stood in the midst of them. So, you know, teleportation capabilities... Just like he gave to Philip after uh, witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch, but uh, so which is super cool to think about. So not not so although physical in nature, not not completely human in nature. Right. Well, so how much how you know how much of this is because of his divinity, his divine nature, and. And what if it reflects the resurrected body Zuhas and he's the first fruit. Right. You know. Yeah. So let me ask you guys who are watching, the few of you that are watching tonight, do you have any questions? Is there any, um, are there any objections that you have heard 
about, you know, believing in the bodily resurrection of Christ? And if so, what are they? Because um, I'd like to know, because there's actually a ton of evidence. Let me also tell you about this paper that I downloaded. This is from, I'm going to get to the first page here. This is called, Did Jesus uh, Rise from the Dead? Here, I'm going to show you it. If I can turn my iPad here. Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? You can actually download this. It's by Dr. William Lane Craig, who is a very uh, highly respected Christian apologist um, at Talbot. I think it's Talbot Biola School of Theology is where he um, did this. But anybody who would want a copy of this, let me know. Uh, send me an email and I can send you a link to where you can sign up and get a copy of this paper. Uh, it was very well written. Um, it's short. It's actually 32 pages long. Um, and there are, there are many Christian apologetic websites that will give you, you know, the evidence for the resurrection, as well as help you defend the Christian faith in many other areas, you know, defend the deity of Christ, defend, you know, the Trinity, uh, you know, defend the, the virgin birth. I mean, the basic essentials that every believer should know how to defend, you know, know what you believe and why, um, people have already done the, re the work. All you got to do is look at it. In fact, one of my favorite apologetic ministries is Stand to Reason. I love that ministry, str.org, str.org. You can go there. Uh, Greg Kokel um, is the host of the show, Stand to Reason. You can listen to it. It's a podcast. I, I, don't, I think they might even have a webcast. I haven't listened to it in years, but Craig, Greg rather, is somebody that um, taught me and Randall. I mean, years ago in California, Stand to Reason was on. And every was it Saturday or Sunday? I don't. I can't remember. It was we. It was a weekend, and we would. Uh. Me and Randall would sit there for two hours, and we'd just listen to Greg. And we'd just soak in everything Greg had to say. <laughs> it was like, you know, um, he kind of kind of made me a little bit of a. Um, well, back in the day, I was I was just like uh, wasn't really a bully, but I was like confident. <laughs> like, go ahead, bring it on. I dare you to challenge me and what I believe. Um, in fact, one of the things that uh, I learned from Greg Kokel was um, that people will automatically assume what you what you believe without you even saying anything. All you got to do is ask a question, and most people will jump all over you and attack you if they're hostile to the gospel. Um, and I, I was in college at the time, and of course, you know, being the superior intellect I am, and that's a joke, uh, <laughs> I, and being a woman, you know, it's, it's the funny thing is a woman, um, being a, uh, you know, as a woman loving Christian apologetics, you know, you don't see a lot of that. You know, most women are, you know, at home taking care of their kids or their husband and they're, you know, in a Bethmore Bible study. They're not in a serious, deeply theological study of Christian apologetics. And I'm not saying Bethmore, you know, isn't serious, but compared to Greg Kokel, you know, apples and oranges, right? I mean, but that's what I learned. And, and I would say to people, I would open up conversations on my college campus and I would say, so, like, what, what do you believe about about this? And, you know, people would just naturally attack you. And, well, you, you said, and I'm like, I didn't say anything. You, don't have, you have no idea what I believe. You assume you know what I believe, but I never actually told you what I believe. Uh, and, and what's really funny to me is that, um, you know, in some cases they were right about what I believed, but I never said it, uh, you know. And, and, but I, I never got in arguments with people 
because of what I believe. In fact, most people are happy to engage you. And this is part of the reason I love doing this show. Because one of the things that I've heard for years is that um, people are like, well, I don't know how to share my faith. Um, I don't I don't know how to bring up topics like this, you know, in natural conversation. And so let me give you a tip. Here's something I learned, okay? And if you're a woman in particular, this is this is great for you, okay? Because um, you know, women like to talk about you know soap operas and stuff like that, right? We don't we don't want to talk about deep theological stuff because that's such a guy thing. But apologetics is simply understanding. It's it's knowing what you believe, but it's knowing why you believe it. You know, so let's just say for sake of baseball analogy, that the New York Yankees are the best baseball team in the history of all baseball. Okay, let's just say that because we know it's true. Well, how do we know it's true? Well, because the Yankees rock, right? (laughs) The, the, The Yankees have won more World Series than any other team, you know, um, and I don't actually know if that's true or not, but let's just say for sake of argument, it's true because I actually think it is true. Um, you know, I would be able to go look at the evidence, right? I could go to ESPN.org or .com and I could look it up and I could go, how many World Series did the, did the Yankees win, right? And then I can do that and then I can compare it to a great team like the Angels or the Dodgers and I could go, how many did they win, you know, um, or the Cardinals, you know, how many World Series did these teams win, I could could compare the evidence. Super easy, right? Well, with God, it's just as easy. Because remember this, okay? The Bible is the number one selling book of all time. Aside from the fact that it's the number one best-selling book of all time, even in these apostate days, um, it's the most published book ever. The Bible, there's no other manuscript written in the history of the world that has been published and dispersed all over the world than the Bible. You say Bible, anybody who's honest, unless they are literally live under a rock or in some jungle somewhere that they've never heard the gospel, everybody knows what the Bible is. Everybody. God's made it pretty easy. So you can bring up the Bible and talk about how was the Bible written? hey, I have an idea. Let's have some tea and talk about how the Bible came about. This is so fun. Like, And just for fun, I, I'll just give you a little taste. So, like, for example, do you know any other book in the history of the world that was written this way on three different continents over a period of about 1,200, 1,400 years, depending on who you ask, in at least three different languages is and has over 40 authors, and the storyline is consistent through the whole thing. Most people are going to go, huh, what? And then all you can say is, well, you know, look, now this is super cool, right? You've heard of the Bible, right? Yeah, I've heard of the Bible. It's, it's a great book. Have you ever read it? Well, no, I haven't. Well, we'll get to that later. But here, did you know how the Bible was put together? And well, I don't, actually. Well, did you know that the Bible was written over a period of twelve to fourteen hundred years, depending on who you ask, in three different languages by over forty different authors on three different continents in the world? And yet, when you read it and you put it all together, there's this unified storyline through the whole thing. 
I did not know that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. It is so crazy. But did you know, if you want to look at manuscript evidence of the Bible, this is even crazier. You know, there, there's people who like Shakespeare, right? Shakespeare was, you got you know who that is, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows who Shakespeare is. Great literary genius who wrote stuff like Romeo and Juliet and stuff like that. And how many manuscripts did he have? I don't know how however many it is. You know, throw out the number, look it up, tell tell them what it is. Well, well, how about the the Bible? How many manuscripts are of you know of the Bible have been found? <sighs> Do you know that there are tens of thousands of manuscripts of the Bible that have been found? Tens of thousands. Homer <laughs> or Shakespeare. Not even close, and yet people will go, oh my gosh, there are like crazy amounts of evidence that this is valid, etc., and blah, 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 etc. Anyway, my point is, is that you can also go to Google and type in Jesus just as for fun. Go to news.google, put in Jesus, put in faith, put in Christianity, put in Easter. You'll always get a news story. And you rip that news story and you look at it and you read it and then you bring it up in conversation. Hey, did you know that, you know, some SS whatever website has this story about God? And I read this. I was like, that's interesting. And I went to my Bible and I looked it up, compared this to this. And this is what the Bible says versus this. It is so easy. It's so easy to bring up faith, you know. A lot of people will say, and I know, Randall, I got to shut up because our time's up. But a lot of people will say, I'm spiritual. And, you know, you could say, you know, actually, that is actually true. You are technically a spiritual person. Let's look at the Bible. Let's look at what the Bible says about being spiritual. <laughs> and you can go from there. All right, Randall. I don't know if you wanted me to shut up or if you had something to contribute. or <laughs> No. No and no. Oh, you didn't want me to shut up? That is down on tape, just so you know, people. But but anyway, my point is, and I'm not seeing any questions, um, so I guess nobody has any questions. But my point is, is that it is very easy to share the gospel. If you ask questions, you listen to questions, and you go back to the source, to the Bible itself, and look up the answers. See, like some of the hot topics, I was talking to a, a friend of mine today, and I asked her, I said, what would you like me to talk about? And she brought up the gay issue, the homosexual issue. And, um, you know, because I've talked a lot about that. Why is that such a, a hard issue today? Well, because the world, the media, has behind it, emotional arguments so everything is emotive 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 when you talk about that issue for people who affirm homosexuality and you know you should love the sinner and hate the sin i for one hate that phrase i hate that phrase gandhi said that phrase i believe it was or was it or was it What's his name? Martin Luther King. Well, anyway, one of those people said that. I hate that phrase. I hate it with a passion. Because 
it's it's trite and it dismisses the magnitude of sin, right? And, and it basically implies, well, you should just love anybody who are, who's trapped in that sin. Well, here's the problem. The, the person who struggles with homosexuality and embraces it, they identify with that sin. They, they make that part of their label, like gay Christian, right? Gay Christian is an identity to that person. It's not a separate, there's no separation between the sin and the person. They make it one. And they use a very emotive argument to kind of get you. It, it's, it's called jamming. You know, it's one of those topics that, that we've talked a lot about. Um, but with, with our faith, our faith is reasonable. Our faith is not based on emotion. It's not based on a feeling. You know, I don't get up in the morning and go, oh, I feel like Jesus is real. Never. I never get up and think that. I, I know Jesus is real based on the knowledge that I have, not because I feel like he's real. I have bad days when I'm like, oh, man, you know, I don't want to read my Bible today or whatever. But I get over it and I read it anyway because what I'm reading is the truth. And that helps me to measure what's out there based you know, based on the lies that are out there in the culture. You know, never forget that humanity wants to validate their sin and they want to negotiate away the payment that Jesus made for us. They don't want anything to do with it. With it. And that's why I said last night, if you have a Christianity that has no cross, then you have no Christianity at all. We have to remember the cross. And the more you study the word of God and you look at the Levitical law and you understand the Passover and all the stuff that took place. And when you look in the book of Hebrews in particular, and you look at the sacrifice that Jesus made when, you know, he died on the cross for our sin, the more confident you're going to be to be able to explain to people because that's what nobody wants to address. They don't want to address sin. The resurrection validates everything Christ did on the cross. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then his death on the cross would have been pointless. You know, I wrote a song years ago called Crucified Man, and I and it's on YouTube. You can look it up. Just put in Crucified Man and put my name in, and you can hear it. But I, when I wrote that song, the line that kept coming to me over and over again was that he was not just another crucified man. Don't you know, the Romans crucified hundreds, maybe thousands of people. You know, um, it was, there was more than one crucified person in the world. That was their cruel way of killing people back then. Jesus wasn't just another crucified man. He was and is the son of God who rose from the dead. He conquered it. He died on that cross for our sin and he came back to life to show us, hey, you know, hello, you know, he conquered death so that we could someday have that immortal body and all throughout the gospel of John in particular, if you read it, eternal life is brought up, eternal life. Believe on him and you will have eternal life. To as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So what? You get eternal life. This whole 
world we live in is obsessed with not getting older, with, with dying and stuff. And eternal life is what people want. And the reality is, is we already have it. The question is, where are you going? If you deny Christ and you reject the free gift that he's given us through his death and, you know, his resurrection, then you, your default is hell. On the other hand, if you accept the gift that he's given us, it's free. All you got to do is believe, repent, believe, and there you go. Then you're in heaven. You know, look at the crosses, the three crosses, the, the thieves on the cross and Jesus, right? You know, the conversations that they had. One of them perished, the other went to paradise. So my question to you is, as I wrap this up, do you know what you believe? If not, why? And do you need help understanding why you believe what you believe? And do you know where you're going when you, when you die? Do you know Jesus? And do you know the power of the resurrection? Because I'll tell you what, it's not just a fairy tale. There is mounds of evidence in all areas throughout history and, and the world that Jesus rose from the dead. Tomorrow, and right now in Australia and other parts of the world, uh, Resurrection Sunday is being celebrated throughout the world. Tomorrow is a day of celebration for Christians. And I'm going to also tell you, right now, there's probably a Christian dying for their faith. Because it's also the time of year when Islam and others like to slaughter Christians all over the world. The, the persecution of the church is very rampant. It's very real. Um, and it's happening even today. And it could be happening here in America at some point. Um, you know, there are more martyrs today in modern history than ever in the history of the world, which isn't something that you hear a lot about, but it's true. Um, Christians are being persecuted in the underground church in China, North Korea, in parts of Nigeria, um, you know, in, in the in the Muslim-dominated nations, in the communist nations. Communism is the number one persecutor of Christians. Islam is right behind. Um, people die daily for Christ. So we have a faith that has reasonable facts behind it. It's not an emotive faith. It's a real faith. God is alive. He heals people. He brings people to themselves. He reveals who he is. Um, through his word, and he isn't a God that hates us or has ever abandoned us. He loves us. He loves us so much, he wrote a whole big book for us to have and to read and to fall in love with and to and treasure, to hide in our hearts so that we don't sin against him, you know? Um, and so my hope is that if you don't know Yeshua, that you seek him out and you ask him to reveal himself to you in a powerful way. And I guarantee you he will, because he is a God that doesn't lie and he desires none to perish. If you're one of my sisters or one of my brothers that already knows Yeshua, then be bold, people. Stand up for what you believe. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Go forth with confidence, because you know what? Um, he's risen. He has risen indeed. And I hope that tomorrow you have a wonderful time celebrating that with people who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Up from the grave he arose. Yeah, he did. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm going to be bold in my faith. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to go with God because he's walking with me and he loves me and he loves you too. See you tomorrow. Thank <laughs> you.